Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I am Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. All right. So last week, we talked about the candidates who filed to run for state offices, particularly legislature. We also talked about the AG. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about those candidates who filed to run for federal office. And we have a couple big ones. And then a couple of interesting um, side notes as well. So let's start with the biggest of the big. That's U.S. Senate. So we have 11 Republicans have filed. Four of them filed to run in the convention only. And seven are also collecting signatures. So Trent Staggs is convention only. Carolyn Fippen, convention only. We've talked about both of those candidates. I think... Both of them, probably their best path is through the the convention, and and they're more, I think, um, more on the committed conservative side, and and I think will do well in the convention. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, so we also have Brad Wilson, who we've talked about, who's done about everything right that you can. I mean, he has he's been traveling the state, he's raised including his own money, $3 million for his campaign. Which the, I mean, I like Brad and I've donated to Brad. I should disclose that, but the majority of that money is his own. It's not like he's donated like 10% of it. He's donated more, well, more than half of it. So yeah, that's that's he still raised a million, right? I think that's true. So, so that's, that's still pretty impressive. And in any event, $3 million is quite a bit. And he's gotten, he's gotten endorsements from, legislators up and down the state uh and then now we have the new entrant that we've talked about before the would he or wouldn't he and that is congressman john curtis and he's decided to jump in the race he has four hundred fifty thousand dollars cash on hand but i think he'll um i know that he's been you know raising at the end of the the reporting period and everything so he'll have a lot more than that i'm sure but um so that is how it's shaped up. And you got to think that, uh, you know, Brad Wilson would have been, we, well, we did say was probably the the favorite for most of, well, basically since uh, Senator Romney said he wouldn't, uh, he's decided to retire. But I think polls and certainly internal polling that um, the Curtis campaign is sharing with people is, is looking really good for him. That's not a guarantee. Both of those two will get, it collects signatures and I think they'll both compete in the caucus too. Um, so how do you think that's going to shape up? Well, I think, uh, I think the race is primarily, I, I mean, I'm going to show some bias right now is primarily between Brad Wilson and John Curtis and John Curtis seems to have an early lead. I think um, a potential dark horse candidate is Brent Orrin Hatch and he filed as Brent Orrin Hatch for a reason because his father, you know, held, you know, was in the U S Senate from Utah for what, uh, 42 years. Um, and I think he is a dark horse candidate. I I think he could, uh, surprise some conservatives with how conservative he is. I know he's an officer in the Federalist Society here in Utah. And I know Brent because, um, he's a practicing attorney. I, I like Brent. I actually just talked to him two days ago. Um, I think he recognizes that he's a dark horse candidate, but, um, you know, he's worked in the White House of two administrations. 
Um, interesting fun fact for you. Uh, what's her name? The blonde conservative um, uh, commentator who everybody, all the far right likes. Um, what's her name? Worked for Fox News for years. Um, blonde, she skinny. <laughs> I can't think of her name. She's written several books. She's quite well known. I think I know who you're talking about, and I can't think of her name right yeah. now either. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, her first job was for Brent Hatch at the Department of Justice. Oh. Uh, he's a legitimate attorney. You know, Oren was a um, was his father was an attorney before he ran the first time. Everybody underestimated him. So it, it'll be interesting. But um, Trent Staggs, he may or may not come out of convention. Um, he just picked up a uh, uh, Tommy to uh, what's his name? Tommy Tuber. Uh, oh, Tuberville. Tuberville yeah. endorsed him, I guess, yeah. this week, uh, this weekend, which I don't know. I mean, again, I'm probably showing my biases, but I don't know why anyone in Utah would want someone outside of Utah to tell us who to vote for. I, mm. I don't find that particularly helpful. Mm. And I seriously doubt that Tommy Tuberville knows all of the 10 Republicans who are running in Utah. So if he only knows two of them and he's saying, well, of the two I know, I think you should vote for this one. I don't I also don't think that's particularly helpful. Um, I'm going to I'm going to tell you right now, um, I, I'm looking at the list. Jeremy Lewis Friedbaum, he's run before. Um, he's he's a candidate that if he draws one percent, I think he'll have exceeded his prior thresholds. <laughs> um, you know, I think that. Um, the Utah Republican uh, Party ought to consider running some type of threshold where if you can't show that you either raise a certain amount of money or that you that you're polling at least two or three percent that that you don't get to give a convention speech, because what we're going to have is we're going to have 10 candidates who are giving speeches at convention when only really maybe two or three or maybe four. Um, are in contention, you know, to come out of convention. And it was very clear to me when Mitt Romney ran in 2018 that several of the candidates, they were they were just there for the convention speech. They were just either promoting a business that they had. Um, and I just think that that's um, a bit of an adulteration of the political process where, you know, hey, if I pay this filing fee, yes, I have no chance of winning. I have no chance of raising money. or, or But I get to give a speech to, you know, 4,000 delegates and, um, and I get, I get, you know, the limelight shown on me for seven minutes. So I don't know. I, I personally think that that's a waste of time uh, for at least. Especially time. since you have to have the, uh, I mean, all the bylaw rules of balloting and everything you have to go through and get rid of these people. And it just takes forever. And yes. So, it's and just you know, we saw that with the, time. we, we saw that with the Republican presidential debates this, you know, this season last year, if you didn't meet a certain threshold, you didn't get on the debate stage. And I know this is different because it's it's actually delegates nominating somebody, and we all want to root for the underdog. But but what I, by attending state Republican conventions for the past twenty five years, one thing I've learned is the underdog rarely uh, surprises everyone. You know, at conventions, so you usually it, know. Well, it happened with Celeste Malloy, so it can happen. But real quick, it on did that. happen with Celeste Malloy, but Celeste Malloy went into that convention being endorsed by Chris Stewart and Rob Bishop. So you, so she, you know, she was in a top, she was in a top three or four or five, but yeah, she wasn't on a drug cause she wasn't Becky Edwards. She wasn't Greg Hughes. She didn't have that statewide name recognition, uh, but she did have those endorsements. And I think in the special election, those really helped her. Yeah. So, uh, so let me just read some of these names, um, Corey, cause I, I think Republicans have never heard of many of these candidates. So I'm just going to go through the Republicans. 
we have um, Jason Walton. We have Brian Earl Jenkins. We have, you've mentioned John Curtis and Trent Staggs. So we have Josh Randall. We have Chandler Tanner. Uh, Brad Wilson, of course. Brent Orrin Hatch, who we talked about. We have Clark White. Uh, Carolyn Fippen, we've talked about. And Jeremy Lewis Friedbaum. So those are the Republican candidates. And I would guess if we polled um, a, a hundred, uh, you know, state delegates who have been state delegates at least twice, I'll bet you um, most, you know, half of those candidates would not get 1% name ID right now. Now that could yeah. change. Yeah. Um, but that, that that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I would say the same about uh, Brent Hatch, even though his last name is Hatch. So people know that he's the, he's Hatch's yeah. son. Like, otherwise, you know him because he works in as an attorney. Like, I don't think anyone else knows him. But um my, my word on him is like, no, <laughs> I don't even want to get to know him. I'm sure he's a great guy. We don't need him. We don't need any more legacy. We don't need any more like royalty. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Well, no thanks though. I will tell you this every year at the state convention, um, every four years at the state convention. So every other state convention and presidential years, we elect uh, delegates to the national convention and alternate delegates. And in 2004, for whatever reason, uh, Brent Hatch threw his name in, you know, with like, you know, with the Speaker of the House and the governor and lieutenant governor candidates and all those. And he he finished in, I think, in the top three out of like as a national delegate. Um, so he's I mean, and, and that's just, a, you know, that was 20 years ago. I get it. But um, all, all I'm saying is people underestimated him before. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the top three or four at convention. Well, uh, point taken, and I'm glad you're talking him up, but I think he's going to get his butt kicked, and I am going to be happy <laughs> to see it. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about, so let's move on to Cong Congressional District 3. So this is currently held by John Curtis, and of course he is going to – as we just talked about, it's going to run for Senate. So that creates an open seat in the third district. And so we have 10 Republicans running. We're not going to go through all of them because most of them don't matter. Uh, there's three that are running for convention, seven that are collecting signatures. I'm going to go through a few of them here that I think, um, that I think will be, you know, contenders. Utah Senator uh, Mike Kennedy, friend of the podcast. He's been on a couple times. He's going convention only. Uh, he has a sizable fan base among the delegates and party regulars in Utah County, at least. He ran for U.S. Senate against Romney and did well at the convention and raised $750,000 at that time. And I think he, a lot of it is personal money as well. And, you know, he's a doctor. So he's probably best known at this point for sponsoring the bill last year to ban transgender sex change surgeries for minors and, and pause the use of hormonal treatments for minors. I think, well, I, I, guess, I think he's best known for, for beating Mitt Romney at the 2018 state convention. He okay, got that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So I think he'd be the yeah. tentative front runner, and I have a feeling that he's going to be on the podcast at some point. Next, uh, Utah Auditor John Dougal. He's, he is actually collecting signatures, which you know is somewhat of a sign that maybe he's not sure he can come out of the convention against Kennedy. But remember, Ken, Mike Kennedy replaced John Dougal in the Utah House when Dougal became auditor. Uh, he also ran, John Dougal also, he's the, he's, the, he's the auditor now. He also ran as the lieutenant governor candidate to Amy Winder Newton, the Salt Lake County Council member. 
Stuart Pay. He served well, as before the you go on with John Dougal. You know, he's he's registered. He'll appear on the ballot as John Frugal Dougal, which has kind of been his little gimmicky name, which I like. I think most people think it's funny. But John, uh, over the last 10 years as the state auditor, he has he has put tens of thousands of miles on his car going to every Lincoln Day dinner, mm. every county convention, uh, every summer party. And he's hoping, I think, that that he can cash in on on all of that work over the last decade. It may work. Um, um, I would not count him out. Good stuff. All right. So um, Stuart Pay, he served as the Utah County Republican Party chair. He ran for state party chair with the Governor Cox team and lost to Carson Jorgensen. Remember, it was Austin Cox who ran for vice chair that year with Stuart Pay. Austin had been Governor Cox's campaign manager. Governor Cox fired him based on reports of sexual misconduct back in 2021. And I only bring this up because I've been told by several people that that Stuart Pay has chosen Austin Cox to run his campaign. So that's interesting. And um, Stuart Pay also ran for Congress. Um, I think the second time yeah. he's run for Congress before. It may have been when Jason, Ch I think it was when, actually when Jason Chaffetz resigned. So the first time Curtis won, I believe Stuart Pay ran and was eliminated at convention. And interestingly, Deidre Henderson also ran in that race mm. and finished second at convention. All right, J.R. Byrd, he switched from the Senate race to run for Congress. He's the mayor of Roosevelt, Utah, which is in eastern Utah, population 7,000-something. He owns an oil field equipment company. He put a million dollars of his own money into the Senate race, which obviously he can use for the congressional race. So that alone is going to make him a little bit more interesting than the other than than a, a normal mayor of Roosevelt would otherwise be. And then Chris Harrod is throwing his hat in the ring. Chris is a former legislator and is a perennial candidate uh, against John Curtis. <laughs> Whatever John Curtis runs for, Chris Harrod seems to uh, well. also file for it. And just a quick note: um, years and years and years ago. Um, Jeff Alexander, I think it was when Jeff Alexander uh, resigned from the Utah House of Representatives, so a state legislative position, they had a mini convention and the two finalists were John Curtis and Chris Harrod. This was about over 20 years ago now. And uh, neither of them um, had the threshold. So they sent both names to the governor. I believe it was Governor Huntsman. So this would have been, I guess, you know, when Governor Huntsman was brand new. And Governor Huntsman said, I'm not going to pick between these two. I'm going to let Enid Green pick. And even though John Curtis had slightly more delegate votes at the convention, they were both, you know, right around 50 percent. She picked Chris Harrod. And I know she's said to people before that that was the biggest mistake she's ever made. So Chris Harrod only got into the legislature because Enid Green Mickelson picked him over John Curtis. And then he's been running against John Curtis for Congress several times and Curtis keeps on beating him. So <laughs> just a fun little backstory. Yeah, it is a heck of a story. Okay. Two more that I want to name case Lawrence. We haven't heard that name before, but he's a Silicon slopes millionaire founder of sky zone, the indoor trampoline park company. I think there's a sky zone in Saratoga. Some people have been to maybe my kids have too. I'm not sure. I don't know that he's ever done anything in politics that I'm aware of because nobody had ever heard of him that I've come across, but he's got money and, you know, he's, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure he will make um, some noise. So that one's going to be interesting. And then uh, a, a very dark horse, uh, Catherine Dallin. 
She's my old coworker. Many years ago, we worked as Senate staffers together. So she worked in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill for a handful of years. And she's been uh, active in local politics, lives in Draper. She's served as a delegate. She definitely knows the issues and, and how to talk about them. So so she'll be an interesting candidate in that way, too. I think that uh, this CD3 has some really interesting candidates. I mean, in my view, I think Mike Kennedy would be the tentative um, front runner. Okay. But yeah. but you have people who are going to spend some money. You have a guy like John Dougal who has some re- name recognition, at least among um, re- Republican regulars. And, uh, you know, you've got you got a couple of guys who are millionaires who are going to put money in. So I don't know. It could be, uh, could be really interesting. Well, Mike Kennedy put, um, I mean, somewhere between somewhere around $800,000, give or take of his own money into his race against Mitt Romney. So don't count him out of the millionaire category. <laughs> um, he, he is a practicing doctor and I think he owns part of his practice um, yeah, so that, that's going to be a fun race to watch. Um, I, I will, I should disclose, Mike texted me when I was out of the country and asked me um, last month if I would endorse him. And I said, Red, you know, absolutely I will. That was before I knew uh, all of the candidates in there, but I won't. I mean, I think Mike is a, a fabulous person. I didn't know him. I served with him in the legislature when he's in the House. I didn't know him as well then, but he's been in the Senate now for about four years. And he is a stand-up guy. I, you know, he's... Um, you know, our voting records are not exactly identical. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he, he has, you know, he's more conservative uh, than I am, but um, you, you will not, whether he wins or loses this race, you will not meet a finer person than Mike Kennedy. And I have the utmost confidence. He, he is a man of integrity and I really like him now. I like Stuart Pay. I like John Dougal. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know those, most of those other candidates. Yeah, so we'll get to know them, and and I think it's well said. I'm a big fan of, of Mike Kennedy, too, so we'll see how this unfolds, but it's going to be really interesting to follow. All right, let's 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 hit a couple of these others really quick, just a couple of notes. In the Congressional District 2, Celeste Malloy obviously has to run again, so she won the – excuse me, she won – a special election to finish Stewart's term, but now she has to run on her own. So, so far, well, not so far. We know she's got, she's got one main Republican challenger. She's got a couple, but we're just going to talk about one. This guy, Colby Jenkins. Colby is a combat veteran who was deployed around the world, apparently with special forces. He's worked on Capitol Hill. He worked in the Pentagon. He does some sort of defense contracting. It seems like now and has worked for Google and he lives in St. George. So that should be interesting. And I, I actually didn't even look to see whether he's, whether he filed to collect signatures or not. I can look right now. I've got it right here. He is doing both paths. So he's collecting signatures. And so is Ty Jensen. Ty lives in, uh, he's the other Republican. He lives in, Richfield. And if I'm not mistaken, he did file to run, uh, you know, when, when Chris Stewart resigned last June, I'm not positive, but I think he did. Mm, yeah. Okay. So and she's then got two male Republicans uh, running against her. So that one will be interesting to watch and we will dig a lot more into that. Then uh, Burgess Owens doesn't really have serious competition in the Republican primary. He doesn't or have his, any or, right? or the Democrats. He have any. Yeah. He, 
He only has Democrat. He had no Republican file against him. Burgess. He uh, only has yep, three Democrats. Right. Yep, yeah. you're right. So, uh, but this woman, the Democrat, one of one of the Democrats who's running against him, her name is Katrina Fallick Wang. Okay. Now, for those people who know, if you know what the word phallic is, or if you want to look it up, <laughs> this is I know what that means. This is, is an obscene, like full, complete sentence. <laughs> And she's she's leaning into it too. So they have they've made shirts, and it's no, it is funny. Like I'll give her that. It is funny. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, and finally, the last thing that we'll talk about as far as candidates, the presidential uh, Iowa caucus is tomorrow night. So remember, everyone, on March fifth, we're going to have our the Utah caucus night, and includes the presidential preference poll and that will determine who our representatives are to go to the republican convention so for all intents and purposes that basically is the the presidential primary for republicans but tomorrow is the iowa caucus and that's going to set the stage uh trump is winning by a lot i mean he's he's right around 50 percent. and the weather is projected to be well is it tomorrow or, or is it tuesday is it monday it's tomorrow yeah okay and the weather is projected to be bad. So the question is, if the weather's bad and people don't turn out in high numbers, who does that help? Who does that hurt? And don't ask me because I have no idea. I have no idea shit. either. But I think it's 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 like some double digits below zero and everything. It sounds like an Iowa night. All right. So that took a long time. Last thing we want to do real quick. Well, should we mention that Blake Moore has Paul Miller and Derek Draper who filed against them? Um, Derek Draper's collecting signatures. Paul Miller is not. And they are both Republicans from Ogden. I've never heard of either one of them. So that doesn't bode well that they have a high name ID. I tried to so, look both of them up. I didn't really learn anything. So, so I didn't. yeah, I think Blake easily gets reelected is my guess. I would think so. And, yeah. and now he's in House leadership, you know, so he's on track. To potentially be speaker one day, maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay, so shifting gears, this week is the start of the Utah legislative session. So, House Speaker Mike Schultz, he put forward a few of his priorities, wants a $160 million tax cut, maybe. Um, they're going to go after DEI programs, wants to tackle housing affordability. I know that the the caucus is going to take up uh, transgender bathroom issues this week or next. But Todd, you are the legislator. Give us a give us the five minute preview because we're over time already. Oh, okay. Well, real quickly then, we have one new uh, House mem- uh, Sen- Senator Heidi Baldry, who we've talked about in the past. I think there's three new House members due to resignations and whatnot. So even though it's not election year, it's a slightly different legislature than last year. Um, you, you hit some of the highlights. One of the fun things about being in the legislature is I haven't told my 103 colleagues what I'm working on and they haven't told me. So a lot mm-hmm. of this, you kind of show up and you find out um, what's going on now. We have been working on interim bills over the last six months or so. And so many of the bills that we'll be debating as early as Tuesday afternoon have already kind of come out of, uh, of an interim committee nearly unanimously. And um, you might see some of those um, bathroom bills kind of get um, kind of quickly uh, through um, one or both bodies the first week. So we're not, you know, dragging that out for the whole six weeks of the session. So 
the House and Senate leadership has, have done that with controversial bills the last uh, year or two. And, and I wouldn't surprise me if they do that again this year. All right. And what do you think about oh, and, that? And the interesting thing is the governor's proposed budget, which he unveiled last month, spends every penny of projected revenue. And then after that budget came out, the House and Senate leaders said, yeah, we think we're going to cut taxes. So that's going to be an old interesting struggle between the, the legislature and the governor. And there's a lot. I mean, it's kind of set up to have struggles between the legislature and the governor. He can veto the budget, uh, but historically governors have not done that or line item veto. So. So if you were to project, what are the two or three or four most controversial or hot, hot button stuff that's going to be addressed in the next 12 weeks? Well, I think anything to do with transgender. Um, I, I think there's a couple bathroom bills coming. Um, I think that the tax cut because the governor didn't, you know, so if we cut taxes, that means we can't, you know, we can't fund the executive branch building block requests that they've asked for. So I think those are the top ones. Um, other than that, I, I'd have to think. Um, I'm not sure I know yet, but I will know a lot more next week. I promise you that. All right, good stuff. And so, a programming note for listeners: we're gonna we're gonna in the past few years we've had legislators on during the session to talk about what they're working on and talk about the the stuff that's happening. We're gonna try to do that again this time. So, all you legislators who are listening. Shoot me I'll, or Todd I'll a text. Shoot Todd a text. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him you want to be on because we'd love to have you. So yeah. uh, we, we'd love to mix it up a little bit. Even if you haven't been on before, we'd love to have you, you know, just come on and we'll give you a chance to talk about your bills. And, and then we're going to uh, probably put a question to you about whatever's hot button that week. Give people and, a chance. And to we, do, we generally record Sunday nights at 8 p.m. So yeah. just so you know. Thanks, Corey. All right. Thanks Good a bunch. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. I'll need it. I'll need it. Hey, take care. All right. See you. Bye-bye.